Hello, and welcome back to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas, and every week I'll be back here ready to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think of them. I'm going to follow the same exact template every week. So it's the basic details of the movie, things like, you know, who's in it, what's it all about. And then I'm going to answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or is it just a flat out crime that this thing was ever made in the first place? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events mixed with a great big heaping dose of adult language. Please be sure you listen with caution. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Casablanca. It was released November 26, 1942 in New York City and nationwide on January 23, 1943. It is directed by Michael Curtis. It stars Humphrey Bogart, Ingrid Bergman, Claude Rains, and Paul Henri. It was nominated for a total of eight Oscars, and it won three of them. It won for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Adapted Screenplay. If you want to watch it, it can be found on Amazon streaming service. They do charge you $3.99. So what is it about? Well, it's 1941. An American expatriate named Rick Blaine owns a nightclub and illegal gambling establishment in Casablanca. His club attracts all matter of patrons, including Vichy French and German officials, military members, and refugees trying to escape the war in Europe. Many desperate souls end up in Casablanca, hoping to be lucky enough to travel to neutral Portugal. A petty crook, a man named Ugarte, has stolen letters of transit from a German courier. These are essentially travel papers which allow the carrier to move freely through multiple countries, including Portugal. They are better than a golden ticket into Wonka's factory. Ugarte brings them to Rick and asks him to hide them in the nightclub for safekeeping. Unfortunately, Ugarte is captured and dies in custody without telling anyone that Rick has the letters of transit. This puts Rick in a very powerful position as he can now sell them to the most desperate person who is willing to pay the highest price. The local police captain, Louis Renault, suspects Rick has them and intends to arrest him and the purchaser when the time comes. Now, Unbeknownst to Rick, he would soon discover that the person who is the most desperate for the letters of transit would be his ex-girlfriend, Ilsa Lund. Ilsa and Rick had a steamy affair 16 months earlier when he was living in Paris. The two of them had planned to escape from the city together during the Battle of France, but then Ilsa learns that her husband, yes, her husband, who she thought had been killed trying to escape from a concentration camp, was actually alive and well and in hiding. Awkward. So Ilsa ghosts Rick, literally leaving him alone at the train station while she ran back to her husband, Czech resistance leader, Victor Laszlo. 
Rick does escape Paris that day, but he never quite escapes his love for Ilsa. Fast forward a year and a half and look who shows up in Casablanca. You got it. It's Ilsa and Victor, desperate for transit to Portugal. A classic love triangle ensues, each declaring that they would sacrifice anything for the love of the other. Ilsa tells Rick she still loves him and begs him to let Victor escape to safety. She will stay in Casablanca and they will be together. Later that same evening, Victor comes to Rick and begs for the papers, stating that Rick's love for Ilsa should compel him to ensure that she is the one that's allowed to safely leave. Rick realizes he's the puppet master and he can choose whichever ending suits him best. When Victor Laszlo is arrested on trumped-up charges, Rick convinces Captain Renault to release him, telling the officer that he planned to give the letters of transit to Laszlo, and it would be a much bigger feather in his cap if he were to arrest Laszlo at the airport trying to escape Casablanca with stolen papers. Renault is a glory hound, so of course he wants to be the man to collar the famous Victor Laszlo for real. Rick assures Renault that he's going to be the one that leaves Casablanca with Ilsa. But Laszlo doesn't know that yet. He'll show up with Ilsa, assuming it's the two of them getting ready to board the plane, and it will be a great double cross at the airport. Renault can make the arrest, and Rick gets to get on the plane with the girl. Everybody wins. But it turns out Rick knows Ilsa belongs with Victor. And at the very last minute, he actually double crosses Captain Renault. And it's Victor and Ilsa who escaped to Portugal. In the end, he still loved her, and he knew that she would regret staying in Casablanca with him. Question one, does Casablanca stand the test of time? Well, in the context of the theme of the movie, yes. I mean, it's always good to stand up to Nazis and the spread of fascism, even if it's just small acts of rebellion. You should always, always say no to Nazis. Nazis are bad. And that's a universally held belief, at least among people with any sense of decency. When it comes to the look and the feel of the movie, well, it's 80 years old. It's black and white. There's no special effects. There's no surround sound. There's no CGI. It relies on strong characters and a good story. Just accept it for what it is. You expect the screenplay to be dated, but it's really not. There are several good jokes, some backhanded, sarcastic one-liners that are fun. I'd say it held up for sure. But I I did want to kind of talk a little bit deeper about the timing and how this could have and maybe should have been a different film. So, So think about it, okay? So the movie is set in December of 1941. So it's right smack dab in the middle of World War II. This is the month that the U.S. entered the war after the attack on Pearl Harbor, right? So the the Japanese bombed us and we're like, okay, we're fucking in it now. And I, I don't know if it's really talked about in the movie, but it's also right around six months after the Germans had invaded the Soviet Union. So this is it. The events of this movie take place right at the height of the shitstorm. It was released nationwide about a year later, which is an incredibly quick turnaround. So people going to see this movie are seeing the theatrical depiction of what they are to believe is the war that's happening in Europe and North Africa. They're seeing it as, and frankly, really close to real time. This isn't like, this isn't a movie like a Saving Private Ryan or a, or a Schindler's List that came out decades after the events really happened. This was happening in 1941, and it's in theaters in 1942. 
the filmmakers are telling a story about characters who are refugees and revolutionaries trying to escape the Third Reich. They're escaping Europe. They're running to North Africa. They're trying desperately to get to Portugal and then eventually to the safety of the United States. Unfortunately, it's a romance. So all the fear, the misery, the confusion, desperation, it all takes a gigantic backseat to the story of a heartbroken bar owner and the woman who dumped him. Now, (laughs) sorry, I do love this movie, don't get me wrong, but I can also understand how generations of Americans would choose to believe the kinder, gentler version rather than what was actually taking place at the time. I'm not saying that movies like this are the reason people turn out to be Holocaust deniers, but knowing what we know now, it's it's kind of hard to watch it be depicted in such a charming way. Casablanca is a story that interests people. In a roundabout way, it may have taught Americans about kind of a different part of the war than they were used to seeing in the news. Um, This showed how the war impacted other portions of the population. So this isn't about soldiers or the Jews or everyday citizens trapped in a war zone. This isn't Anne Frank hiding in an attic. This is about predominantly white and predominantly well-to-do people using their money and influence to escape the realities of war. The characters are these elite couples dressed in their Sunday best, drinking tea at sidewalk cafes, complaining about how long it's taking to get an exit visa approved. At some point, you just kind of want to stop and go, Jesus, do you have any idea what's happening to millions of Jews right now? (laughs) You can easily lose sight of the fact that there's a world war happening when people are drinking champagne and singing in a in a piano bar. Their, Their small acts of rebellion against the Nazis are really actually quite sophisticated, almost businesslike, as if they wouldn't stoop to allow themselves to be ugly or violent in any way. There's this real, you know, when they go low, we go high attitude that sometimes can be confused for apathy or unawareness of how troubling the world outside their bubble has really become. You get to see which side they're on when it matters, that's for sure. I mean, there's this great scene at Rick's where there's some German military officers who've been drinking and they start singing a a German anthem. And everyone else in the bar immediately stands up and loudly drowns them out with a rousing rendition of La Marseille, which is the French national anthem. It's a very polite fuck you. (laughs) And of course, the German snowflakes get pissed and force Captain Renault to shut down the bar for the rest of the night. You know, I understand this isn't this isn't meant to be a war documentary. It's a love story. So you can't ruin it with truth bombs, right? You people didn't want to see war and death and destruction and genocide. They want to see two ex lovers listening to Sam the piano man sing as time goes by. I can't say I blame them. It's easy to get caught up in the passion of the moment. So yes, it does stand the test of time because it's a beautiful romance. It just happens to be set at a really shitty period of time. It is what it is. The film was rushed into production. It was made in just a few weeks, which is unheard of. And the scenes were shot in sequence, which is really rare because at the start of production, it seems that only the first half of the screenplay was completed. (laughs) Um, It gets rushed into New York City released three months later. So that's how quickly this turned around because they wanted to capitalize on Operation Torch, which is the allied invasion of French North Africa 
during which they captured Casablanca from Vichy French rule who had adopted a policy of collaboration with Nazi Germany. So even though Casablanca was still ruled by the French, it was the Vichy French, which were basically in lockstep with the Nazis. Question two, is it Oscar worthy? Yes, it is. The other nominees that year were For Whom the Bell Tolls, Heaven Can Wait, The Human Comedy, In Which We Serve, Madame Curie, The More the Merrier, The Oxbow Incident, The Song of Bernadette, and Watch on the Rhine. They are all simply brilliant filmmaking. And I'm <laughs> just kidding. I haven't seen any of them. I have no idea. But considering the length of the list, I do suspect there was a time in Oscar history when they simply just nominated nearly every good movie that was possibly made that year. Um, It's hard to say hands down among this crowd if Casablanca really was the best among them, but I find it to be well-written, well-acted, and generally a really well-rounded film. It's every bit as enjoyable today as it was 80 years ago. So yeah, I think that makes it Oscar-worthy. Question three. Should you watch it? Of course you should. If for no other reason than to say you saw it and now understand all the fuss made at the time about Humphrey Bogart and Ingrid Bergman. They were basically the Brad and Angelina of old Hollywood. And they are very convincing as star-crossed lovers who painfully come to the conclusion that they don't belong together after all and they need to go their separate ways. All these years later, we still quote some of Casablanca's most famous lines, like, we'll always have Paris, and here's looking at you, kid. The one line it's most credited with is, play it again, Sam, which, interestingly enough, is never actually said in the movie, at least not in those exact words. But it took off, and it sticks with us today. Something really interesting about the casting here, so Bogart is 16 years older than Ingrid Bergman. While I don't give it any credit for age-appropriate casting, I will still admit I've seen worse. What makes up for it a little bit is me knowing that Bergman was actually two inches taller than Humphrey Bogart. So in their scenes together, he had to stand on blocks or sit on really tall cushions so he could appear to be the taller of the two. He was all of 5'7", so maybe not quite the tall, dreamy hunk he was given credit for being. The movie continues to gain popularity decades after its initial release. By 1977, Casablanca had become the most frequently broadcast film on American television. In 1992, Roger Ebert wrote of Casablanca, There are greater movies, more profound movies, movies of greater artistic version or artistic originality or political significance. But it's one of the movies we treasure the most. This movie has transcended all of the ordinary categories. And he's right. Casablanca is a true gem. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been episode four of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. If you feel so inclined, you can like, follow, subscribe, and even post a review. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. 
and the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio, and if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations, so please be generous. Thanks, and see you next week.